Howdy, this is Jim Rutt, and this is The Jim Rutt Show. Listeners have asked us to provide pointers to some of the resources we talk about on the show. We now have links to books and articles referenced in recent podcasts that are available on our website. We also offer full transcripts. Go to jimrutshow.com. That's jimrutshow.com. Today's guest is Bob Reed. Bob's the co-founder and CEO of Everest. Everest is a very interesting multi-dimensional company applying blockchain to society in a short sentence. I've been talking with Bob behind the scenes, I don't know, for how many years now? Four or five years, something like yeah, that. Yeah, about four or five. Yeah, no, I've always liked them, but I've made less money than I would have thought owning their coin, but oh well, I've made some, which, which is a good thing. And uh, not a lot, just a, a token amount, just so I have a little skin in the game, just for full disclosure. And that was years and years ago. It still just sits there, but that's all right. And anyway, before founding Everest, he had lots of other interesting career businessy things, always on interesting, non, non-stupid-ass stuff, which is good. Want to check him out? He's on LinkedIn. Anyway, today we're going to talk about identity, mostly, I think, and probably a little bit about other things. So let's hop into it. So why don't we start by talking about Everest just a little bit, you know, two minutes worth, what Everest does, and then we'll start talking specifically about your new identity product. Sure. So Everest started about five years ago, basically with the core of how do you create a deduplicated live human being attached to a wallet where the user actually gets to own their identity, right? The impetus was look at Estonia's society or Adahar plus India stack, and then realize that we wanted to decentralize it so that literally the user could own all of that. And then we built a stack on top of that, which ended up being, here's an account, fiat and crypto, full ledger, and the ability to tokenize fiat, so stable coins, crypto, and what you'll see from us later this year is actually tokenized stocks, commodities, indices, et cetera. So when you say society, yeah, we're talking about like all other societies, identity at the base level, and the entire economic stack above, including all the licensing to do it. Very interesting. Very interesting. Okay. So let's talk about identity, right? In your propaganda, you or maybe it was an email, you quoted Mark Andreessen. Hey, hi, Mark, an old friend of mine, on that identity is a trillion-dollar opportunity. Why is that? And he was specific about saying blockchain is probably the way to do it, right? And the reason he was arriving at the same reason I arrived at it years ago, the same reason Facebook with Libra tried to get there, and now even Elon Musk is talking about it with Twitter is, if you can get a user to actually prove they are human, unique, one of these 8 billion people, and then run a financial stack on top of it, what would Musk say? We'll run probably half the world's financial transactions, right? Because you leapfrog over all the legacy systems, and the user ends up, truly, it's me. I'm going to transact on fiat, crypto, stocks, commodities, et cetera. So it all starts with proving you are who you say you are. 
of course, there's two models there. One, you could then do it all. That's obviously Musk's vision. The second is you could be a provider of identity services. And it's not a trillion-dollar opportunity, but it's a nice business. As many people know, I actually ran an identity service for a while called the Domain Name System. Right, uh, it was a very <laughs> lucrative business, as it turned out, and you know to show that when we didn't do anything other than run the domain system, right, and we did not try to compete with our customers. And I often will recommend to people from a business perspective: think about being a trusted third party who provides arms to all the war fighters rather than competing with your customers. That's always a key business decision one needs to make. Couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I can tell you. Just to share war stories with you, like born and raised in Silicon Valley. My, my dad used to come home back when integrated circuits were invented, right? The first thing they said, here's a Texas Instruments chip, and it can do a watch, right? Watch and calculator were the first two thing applications of EIC. And what Texas Instruments do after making the chip? They made their own calculators and watches. Yeah. Never, ever. Like I was like seven. It's like... Bob, never, ever compete with your customers. Yeah. Very important. Very important. I I often, I do a fair bit of coaching of entrepreneurs. And of course, they often want to boil the ocean and conquer the universe, right? Which is a good thing in a startup CEO. But I also always warn them that if their business has that trusted third partner attribute, you have to make a decision early on. Are you going to be a trusted third party or are you not? And if you are not, you're going to have to leave some seemingly lucrative opportunities on the table. Agreed. I I can tell you the why we built what we built and what we're leaving on the table and how we're, if you will, more of an open system that others can use. Okay, before we do that, one other point to help the audience get oriented. One of the key ideas around where identity and finance come together is called know your customer. It It is why opening a bank account is 20 times more fucking trifling than it was 20 years ago. Back in the day, you just showed up, told them the name you wanted. In fact, in New Mexico, where I lived 20 years ago, you could actually even open a business with under its own name without a DBA, hilariously, right? You try to do that today, you're going to be sent to Guantanamo or something. Tell the audience about KYC and its evolution over the last 20 years. Sure. So generally, you have to prove you are who you say you are, right? And so I'll give you a sense, just in society at large, if I want to get on a dating site and most dating sites will say, hey, let's make sure he's not a catfish. Does he have a Facebook account? Does he have a Facebook account with 50 or 100 friends? All right. They do a little bit of like, let's just make sure it's not random guys just creating a Facebook account. So if you have 100 friends, they'll be like, that's good enough identity verification to get into our service, right? And it sort of escalates up from there. How much more identity verification do you need for each service, right? And at the top of the peak is, are you going to touch regulated financial services, which the government regulates across the planet? And at that point, you have to prove to the governments, and this is enforced via intermediaries like banks and payment systems, I am truly Bob, and there's not... I don't have three accounts inside of an institution. So that means here's my utility bill. Here's, you know, sometimes my face to verify. Here's my 
you know, my cell phone bill, something like that. Picture of your driver's license, pick of your picture of your passport. You know, they, and of course nothing is perfect, but they try to stack up enough things yeah. to reach a level of confidence that they can proceed. Yeah. Now look the word identity, it's almost worth taking a step back. There's identity of like, this is me and nobody needs to know anything else. And that's true for a lot of what you do in your daily life. It is. But identity also, in many cases, has a legal repercussion. There are obligations and ramifications if you vote and you're not who you say you are. Felony. Right? If you're moving money, by the way, moving money under your $1,000, most, most governments and regulators don't care. Moving over ten or 20000 they start caring. And you have to prove you're not who you say you are. And so, like I said, identity, low level. Low level financial, low level most is how you're going about your life. No big deal. At a certain level, there it's a legal thing. And so social verification doesn't work. Yeah. In the United States, for, for cash, it's $10,000, right? And so if you move anything that's like cash over $10,000, then you have to file a treasury report with a relatively strong form of identity. But the, again, I will say I do those from time to time. And eh, you know, maybe I haven't done them recently enough, but they weren't that onerous. I could have easily come up with a bogus identity to pass the treasury reporting form that you have to fill out. But but again, that's, that's the thing. And of course, the other issue, and this is when you're sitting on the other side of the table, to the degree that somebody is, a, is giving you credit, they're, in, they're interested in fraud. Because the easiest right. of all frauds is the so-called breakout, where you build up a business, build up some inventory, get some loans, all this stuff. And then on Tuesday at 11.30 p.m., you just disappear, right? It's called sure. a breakout. It, the mafia is great at it. It's the simplest of all major frauds. Any yeah. moron that wants to make $300,000, look up how to do a breakout and then go do it. No, don't do it but go back and read how to do a breakout. So identity, when someone's extending you credit, is hugely important. Absolutely. I'd say there's great World Bank studies of what happened when they introduced biometric national identity in parts of Central Africa, where it was like, I'm going to go get a loan for $300, and then I'm going to go 200 miles south and open up another bank account under the name of Steve instead of John. And as soon as you go like, hey, you can't actually disappear your identity, guess what? It was like, by the way, that previous scenario, banks lost money, and then there was no credit, and all of society started collapsing because you couldn't actually get credit. You put in a biometric system, you end up with like, oh, well, now people can actually get loans because they're going to get paid back, and farms get done, and kids get educated, and society moves. And that's a very important point. I'm going to break in with this point. love to hear your thoughts on it. Trust is an important part of how societies work and why places like the West have prospered versus places like Central Africa is at least in part. Lots of reasons, colonialism, whatever, natural resources, iron, germs, and steel, whatever the fuck it was, Jared Diamond's book. Lots of reasons. But one of the reasons is, for historical trajectory reasons, has been higher levels of social trust in the West. And so being able to build trust, even if by artificial technical means, is a way to really help these societies start to prosper. Because without trust, as you point out, you know, the the small business loans are the absolutely indispensable fuel for building an economy from very low to low to moderate. If you can't make those low those small business loans, really difficult for economies to move. And so if you build trust 
even across, because one of the problems in Central Africa is these artificial boundaries designed by the colonial administrations combined a bunch of people that spoke different languages, had different religions, hate each other historically for 20 generations. And so the, it, you know, the ground level trust is low. So if you can build the equivalent of trust via other means, you actually provide those societies a, a way to start getting their economies to come up. And that's got to be good for the world to help these people move up into a higher level of economic life. Yeah. Look, there's a playbook now if you go into the development banks, right? When you want to start increasing capacity of a society, starting with its economy and society, I'm lumping in social, political, and economic systems. The playbook starts with getting a an identity system, and specifically a deduplicated live human system, which is almost always biometrics. And then you build on top of that from there. After that, you're doing the freeways, the voting, the loans, the everything else. India is the sort of poster child of this with Adahar. Yeah, how many people, I've been reading, I've been, you know, been following this out of my left corner, my left eye since it started. How many people have they brought into the Indian system over the last few years? 1.1 billion. That's a lot of people. It is. And it's almost now, everybody in India. Not quite, but almost. It's required for bank accounts. They did do a switch over for SIM cards a couple of years ago, too. And so, by the way, it made getting checking an identity, getting a bank account, everything else that comes along with it much, much easier, faster. If you jump with me uh, mentally, um, President Tumas Hendrik Ilves from Estonia who advised us, he was the one who pointed out, he's like, Bob, you accidentally built Estonia, right? Yeah, the e-citizenship thing. I've got an e-citizenship in Estonia. <laughs> but they have the entire stack. It's right. single identity all the way up that stack. He goes, because of that entire stack and the fact that we know who the user is, we attribute roughly 2% of GDP to literally just efficiency. So. And that will get, and over time, that'll get even better because new systems, fresh systems that are built, will take that into consideration. They won't have to have all that legacy horseshit because now they got to do it both ways, at least in most countries, right? Yeah. Uh, and now let, let's turn to the other side of this, yeah. the dark side, right? There's now a single choke point for life. And consider that motherfucker Trudeau in Canada, the guy who froze the bank accounts of people that were engaged in, it was fairly rough, but legitimate civil disobedience. Yes, they should have been, they could have been arrested and charged with misdemeanors, but instead, and which is fine, it's honorable. Martin Luther King was arrested for misdemeanors I think 17 times during the civil right. rights movement. His most famous document was the letter from the Birmingham jail where he was yeah. arrested for some bullshit by racist fucking cops, right? And so, you know, if they had arrested the truckers on a on a misdemeanor charge and they'd all gone to jail and just refused to leave, uh, that would have been classic civil disobedience, very honorable. Instead, that motherfucker froze their bank accounts, used the power of the Canadian government, which was a lot stronger than the American government. It's a veritable police state in waiting. And of course, freaked everybody out. If you, your credit card stops working, your bank <laughs> account starts working, your wife can't buy groceries. Talk about government fucking tyranny. Basically, Trudeau uh, basically announced himself as a dictator with that move. Good. Now, if we have a system like your building, what keeps Trudeau from entirely fucking up somebody's life by calling Bob Reed and saying, by Canadian law, you got to fuck Jim Rutt because he said Trudeau's a motherfucker? So 
two things. And by the way, you're touching really close to what a central bank digital currency that is attached to an identity or a wallet can do. And everyone should be outside of, I would say, Europe, where I think the principles and underlying laws that get enforced and watchdogs along with it would, will probably keep the Europeans. In. I wouldn't trust those motherfuckers fucking five inches. When it comes to government, I don't give a shit how good their historical record are. Every government has become tyrannical sooner or later. It, let me say, I'm, they're only slightly better than the Canadians and everywhere else. That's all I'd say. Because I actually know of cases when the Europeans have actually said, no, you actually can't have the user's data. But let me answer you. Yeah, I, I, yeah, but anyway, but anyway so, uh, so yeah. let's take the general case. Let's assume governments are no damn good. And sooner or later, they're going to try to fuck people over. So what we did is we actually took Everest and we took the infrastructure for identity and literally sent it out put it into a nonprofit with different governance that literally I nor Everest nor anyone can actually get into the user's identity and separated it from Everest, the licensed financial entity. And what that does is that infrastructure, if you go to foundationnetwork.org called The Foundation, it literally has all of the building blocks to create a free identity and wallet that nobody else in the entire world can see or turn off or turn on how do you keep how do you keep it outside the ability for a government to turn it off to turn off my identity for instance so they would actually have to have the keys right and they would actually have to have the servers and so each identity in the infrastructure we donated is think of a million identities are a million distributed data stores. Uh-huh. Each data store, so let's say it's mine, right. has a wallet. And then it has, uh, using the IPFS standard distributed storage right, around right. either Europe. Interpla- interplanetary file system. Right. We use, we're using the standard, not their service. And each little piece of my identity attached to that wallet, from my biometrics to my proof of address to my whatever credential or attestation I want to add to my identity um, is all separately encrypted. And it requires and that, it requires my live face and pin in order to open that data store up. Now, how many shards have to be assembled to create your identity? Ah, we're literally doing live face plus pin to create. No, I don't mean that. I was at the technical level because presumably to get real security, you don't want the whole wallet on any one server. So typically you would shard fragments of the, of the record and then require pulling together shards from multiple services before you'd be able to decrypt it. We're not doing distributed shards. We are using a DAG though. So think of a, a DAG type database. So basically a network database. It's, what is it? Dialectic acyclic graph yeah directed a directed acyclic graph essentially it was that fancy name for a tree structure basically tree structure once in can't come back out and then we so think of my identity as a distributed encrypted dag across um, multiple servers across multiple servers yeah the key is you don't want you can't put all a single wallet on a single server you need to be, and it, the more shards you have, the more secure you are from someone like government coming down and putting their thumb on you. Right. It's a, it's 
has to be the it's our mutual friend Jordan put it to me walking down the beach in Encinitas once. He said, you have to be in a position where if somebody shows up with $10 billion or a gun to your head, you literally have to be able to go, I can't help you. Yep, exactly. Exactly. And then we, we designed for that scenario because personally, Good. I have either one of those things to happen. So. Yep. And, and, if, and if they know you can't do anything about it, they, there's no point in them putting the gun to your head, right? That's right. So that's good. Okay. So I'm very glad to hear you're doing that. And I also like your point that it's exceedingly unlikely uh, that of a, a central bank crypto identity system would have that attribute. Could you imagine the lobbying from the FBI and the CIA uh, when this thing is when this legislation is being passed? You know, goddamn well that if even if there isn't an obvious front door, there'll certainly be a back door. Absolutely. I, I was actually uh, recalling it. Uh, this came up recently. Like. I've had two governments come to me and say, open the damn database of these identities. And both times I've had to say, sorry, I can't help you. Even if you throw me in jail, I still can't help you, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's the way it should be. Well, I'm very glad to hear that you guys have taken that very seriously because I, while I see the tremendous power of identity, for instance, a strong identity system ends the immigration problem immediately. <laughs> Right. You just uh, you know, because there's already the laws on the books that say that the employers are supposed to verify. But the, the methods of verification are so dodgy these days. And the courts have ruled that even the most shitty fake Social Security card is good enough. If you had strong identity, there would be no jobs for illegal immigrants. They have to go home. That would be a very simple solution to a very complex problem. But I wouldn't trust the government to run that kind of system. Clearly, I would say, uh, going back to the Adahar system, which, again, was inspirational 15, 20 years ago when it got started, but they get hacked all the time, right? They have their own internal IT guys inside Hyderabad that'll go into their own systems. They have people still like trying to, you know, sell different ideas. Like it's, they're not trusted impartial brokers on this at this point, right? We, we, I think we all have too much information to know that they, they can't be trusted on many things. But as we all know, that if you have a monolithic database, all it takes is one corrupt individual, typically. And, human, and you know, 1% of humans are sociopaths. It's always important to remember that. You know, <laughs> an, an, another 1% are schizophrenic, right? So if you don't, if you have to build systems assuming bad, bad people and crazy people will be present at fairly substantial levels. You know, you say, oh, 1%. Well, in a country the size of America, 1% is 3 million. So my fellow Americans, there are 3 million sociopaths amongst you. That's right. And you have to design your systems accordingly. All right. So I'm very happy to hear that you have that perspective and that you've done that work. That is huge. Uh, it makes me much more willing to give you publicity and help you guys along because you know my biggest fear is that this becomes the choke point for the motherfucking Trudeaus. I'm, I'm going to have his name legally changed to motherfucking Trudeau. I just saw his wife's ditching him, which is a good thing too. Oh, that too. Uh, arr, arr. Uh, anyway, uh, welcome to the Jim Rutt Show and Salty Jim, right? <laughs> but so now let's get on to what is it that you're actually doing in this in this range and what's it called and where can people learn more about it? Sure. So either Everest.org, which is it's the licensed financial institution in Europe that can create an account and an identity, et cetera. 
or you can go to foundationnetwork.org, which is the foundation, which is the, again, the nonprofit that just gives away identities and wallets for free. So I put it, uh, here's your MetaMask equivalent with biometrics to, you know, scan your face and pin to, to get your, your free wallet. Okay, let's, let's go one level more tangible. You say MetaMask equivalent, so it's not MetaMask, because MetaMask doesn't have biometrics, things like that. So what is this? Is this a phone app? Is this a, a plug-in like MetaMask? What is it? What is it? How is it actually tangibly delivered to the user? Good question. Basically, it's a web app. You can literally go to wallet.everest.org and scan your face, put in your PIN, and you get access to, you can manage other wallets, from your desktop or laptop, right? You can use your own wallet. And if you want to send what I call a regulated financial transaction, then we will actually do an identity verification on that side. If you don't want to do a regulated financial transaction over Everest, use Ethereum mainnet or do whatever you want and you just run the software for free. Now, do you have links to other service providers because again in the domain name business it'd been fucking useless to sell domain names unless they were embedded in browsers right and right. that people like in corporations hook their mail systems into dns you know so other people had to make our magic valuable it was it would be sure. utterly useless to net to, to map a name to an ip address unless there was a use for the names how are you driving uptake of the names so that they're valuable to do things in the world that's a really good question. It explains literally why we built Everest rather than just say, here's the free identity system, right? Right. It, as it turns out, and this is like as much as you and I appreciate privacy and a non-compromisable, non-hackable identity system, or I can just prove I am who I say I am. The truth is people don't care, right? They, they still go to Facebook and give away their data. They use Google yeah. and give away all their data. They just don't care. And they use their real email address when they log into things. Like, I mean, yeah. I've got a hundred email addresses for various purposes. And I mean, goddamn, I would ever give away my main email address to some piece of shit that's trying to, you know, get yeah. me to send me a newsletter or something. Exactly. So because of that, we built Everest, which is a licensed financial institution. We were one of the, out of the 400 companies that showed up in Malta in 2018, 10 of us got a license to actually custody crypto and execute orders and send and transmit. Uh, as I put it, if identity is an operating system, let's call it Windows, nobody really cares, but it's got to be there. After that, you got Microsoft Office. That's kind of our financial services stack. We go like, okay, we're going to give you fiat accounts, right? You can actually send and receive dollars and euros and pesos. We have a crypto account and you can buy, trade and sell. And so we're letting you like, so here's all the application stack that actually drives usage, drives adoption of the use. And I can give you one more web two metaphor. Zuckerberg, when he set up doing a photo sharing site, which is primarily what Facebook is, right? It's like, here's photo sharing with all your buddies from high school and college. At the end of the day, he kind of ended up with an identity system with single sign-on. If he started with single sign-on, 
Never really got and, and, they, and they did make a very interesting decision that most other people did not, which was that officially, at least, your Facebook login must be unique to you as a human, and two, you must travel under your human name. Now, we do know that their their architecture is so sleazy that it's very, at least, I don't know, again, I don't know if it still is, but you know, I used to have a few sock puppets on Facebook, but it, was, it wasn't very hard to game their system. I don't know what it is like today, but they had an opportunity. They could have been the guy that built identity, but they didn't. Right. And they're paying the price for it now, just like Twitter is, just like LinkedIn is. They're all trying to get into the identity verification business because one, everyone's gaming it. And two, there's about to be an AI tsunami that wrecks these games. Yeah, exactly. They just I use the I use that term AI tsunami. It's already started. I also call it the flood of sludge. You know, the, yeah. the, so you can already see it. You can feel it in your feeds, right? Yeah. That the level of inauthentic horseshit is increasing. It's down here. I'm drawing a picture of an uh, exponential curve. We're before the knee, but we're damn close to the knee. It's about to go straight up. Right. I'm saying currently what they're trying to do, like all of them more or less, they want to use a credit card to validate that I'm me. And, and, that, one, and, that, you're, and that you're over 18, supposedly. Which, of course, you and I both know you can go down and buy a Green Dot card at Walgreens, right? And, oh, yeah. and they don't do a very good job of KYC. And you can have yourself a credit card on an address that's not even your own and with somebody else's name. Just, you know, just finding a name. All you really need to do is find the name of a live person who, who you don't even know. And you yeah. can get yourself a Green Dot card. Yeah, it, it's... Oh, it's not scalable globally. Not everyone has credit cards. It also doesn't stop imposters, like you said. Like, it's just not plausible. And by the way, you're making people pay for it, too. So the friction yeah. on that is like, there has to be a free, hey, scan you, like, free. I'm a live human being, and I'm not a, an imposter. There has to be that. Like, we're actually showing it now on Twitter. I saw that. Oh, have you been talking to these guys, right? Because you just made a compelling argument why, one, their approach sucks, and two, why your approach is better. And oh, by the way, it's fucking free, right? So why not go to these guys and say, hey, adopt our form of identity as an alternative to the other forms? Those are conversations. Those are interesting conversations. Uh, like I know a guy who knows Elon Musk personally. So when you're ready to talk to Elon personally, let me know. Okay, I will. Because, <laughs> uh, again, this is really important shit. And the fact that they're building on these foundations of sand are a big part of why they have the problems that they do. You know, And as my listeners know, I've been building online communities since 1980 of all sorts at all scales. And one of the things I have always found, and I go, this puts me sideways with some of the crypto assholes, is that in online community, real names produce much higher quality of community when you're not able to be invaded by sock puppets and by propagandists and by spammers. And I know there are some arguments, and for some cases where anonymity is important, like, for instance, a support group for domestic violence people or people for a medical condition support group. So I do believe there should be some, some limited cutouts to allow anonymity. But in general, real names equal better discourse. And so I'm also very adamant on anything I do that real names are the policy. Interesting. I can tell you, we architected for 
anonymity or pseudonymity. So I can, for example, say, here's Bob on Twitter, human unique. And by the way, here's a picture of me that I registered with and it more or less matches the my Twitter profile, right? Okay, that's truly Bob. I can also use my Anon account and simply prove I'm not AI, I'm not a bot. I'm not gonna give my real name. That's gonna be my, it's gonna be my nasty dark web, you know, alter ego. And might not be great for the Twitter discourse, but as an individual. Or the, or the ecosystem in general, or it's also helping sexual exploitation of children, all kinds of bad shit. Right. But at fundamentally, privacy is human rights. I should be able to share whatever I want to share. Mm, yeah, maybe. Uh, maybe. Except for regulated financial transactions, I have to go like, here's my date of birth, name and address. After that, you don't get to see a whole bunch. Twitter, just... I can see why you could build it in, but I would also see why anybody who is responsibly running a network should not use it. Because it produces shitty networks and crime. If you're not prepared to put your fucking name behind what you say, don't fucking say it, right? right. <laughs> people who were not verified at that level probably only get a little bit of credibility. Yeah, well, that'd be nice if, uh, okay, let's take Twitter's case. Hey, Elon, if you're listening, here's an idea for you. For people who use real identity, the symbol next to their name is got a gold star. If they use a, a real strong identity, gold star next to their name. If it's a non-verified real name identity, it's a pile of shit, one of those triangular piles of shit. And the, and the pile gets a little smaller as they add more credentials to their identity, but it's still a pile of shit until they get down to the bottom and whatever policy they choose on strong enough identity, then the pile of shit goes away and then they take one more step and they get a gold star. There's a very nice way to allow anonymity, but to inform all the users on how shitty the identity is, quite literally. Yeah. So <laughs> like, what, what we've done is not dissimilar. We've got about five levels where it's like, here's human, not a bot, period. That's it. Like you're one of the 8 billion live pieces of carbon. After that, there's no imposter, right? You can go like, I own this account. And by the way, you can second level of not an imposters. Here's a picture, which some people, a lot of people won't do. They'll just stop at level one, one and a half. Third level is here's an identity verification. Like we've done just a basic verified driver's license, let's say. And the last one is Here's a KYC. You can actually start transacting, you know, thousands of dollars over the over the network. And then there's a fifth one, which we have specified in the Game B protocol, which is that you have personally met with a Game B notary in person, and your picture. And that's the final check. And I would I would suggest there's a very interesting business there of offering in-person verification. And by the way, not just of identity, but of anything, especially in this world of you know deep fakes, which are oh talk about another tsunami of sludge. I believe that there is a business to verify anything, including that an event is actually happening at a certain place and time, you know, that a speech being given by some politician is actually happening, etc. And you could charge a couple hundred dollars to go verify an event and put it in the blockchain. And then if anybody puts out a deep fake, the victim of the of the deep fake just puts out the link to the verified fair witness witnessed event and say, this is what actually 
actually happened. Here it is, recorded, right? But so anyway, but the, but live human is going to become more and more important as it's easier. And I mean, I can now fake easily a driver's license. There's software on the web that allows me to fake a driver's license, right? Yeah. You know, we could fake anything, and and that's just today. It'll get exponentially worse. Second, one of my favorite counters to I'm a human. Duh, duh. There's a nice exploit, which is oh, go find some bums on the street, right? Get right. get their credentials, register them, and then just start hook, hooking names to them up the yin-yang, pay them $200 a month to to use their identity. And they're buddies too. Oh yeah. Do you know any other drunks that want $200 a month? Come by and sign up and show us your credentials and we'll be depositing $200 into your bank account every month. How do you guys deal with exploits of that sort? Yeah, that's a, a lot of the crypto scam artists uh, 2017, 18, 19 were trying a lot of that of like, let me pay someone to do the KYC into XYZ exchange. And that way my name isn't actually associated. Yeah, exactly. As a licensed financial institution, when we see that type of behavior and you can see it in the transactions, right? Like at a certain level, you go from, let's call it under a thousand dollars. The law doesn't care what you're doing. Are you on the sanctions list based on, by the way, here's my name and address and it's self-attested. We don't check. Nobody else checks. Nobody cares. 1,000 to 10,000. Okay, well, let's go ahead and do a quick check. Wait, that bum isn't actually in that address? You do an address verification. Then above a 10,000, you're like, actually prove the source of wealth or prove the source of funds or both. And so with more volume, there's more enhanced, you'd, you'd find out, oh, that guy doesn't actually have an address, right? Under $1,000, the system isn't at risk, the company isn't at risk, nobody cares. Society isn't really at risk, unless you get enough of them. I mean, you're smurfing, exactly. you, know, you know about the thing called smurfing, right? Where, you know, to keep under the treasury limit of $10,000, you, you know, hire a bunch of bums, not, one step above bums, whatever that is called these days, and you yeah. pay them to go, you know, do cash transactions for $9,000, right? And then that's, that, that's the low end of money laundering. Right. And so, look, I can tell you what we do that's actually unique. And I give you a real sense. We had a casino come to us and say, hey, we've got gangs of roving 21-year-olds that will come in and do this. And it was like, okay. Buy $9,000 worth of chips and then cash them out an hour later, right? Exactly. Now, okay, nobody can really stop that from happening once. What the casino wanted us to do was make sure it never happened again. And we can. Because mm-hmm. when people are doing it, we're literally going, okay, that live face and the pin associated with it, which is not just a person, they have an account. We actually know that guy came in here an hour ago for 9,900. So do his 20 friends. And we can go, ah, we can stop the fraud from happening because we, we actually know who they are or that they've done a transaction like that uh, previously. Yeah, of course you can't. I mean, the, the casino could do that themselves, but the what what you what you get is across multiple casinos because you know yeah, yeah it's like Caesar's Palace. They'll know if the same person came in multiple times, and they can stop that themselves. But yeah, it's the whole industry that that you could right. help to collectively. Correct. So that's an interesting service. Also, a Trudeau danger point, though I would say. Agreed. That's why I say like we we had to separate the identity from the financial institution. The financial institution will go out and just sell software and move money and value 
accordingly and do what the law so says. The software, so the company, the software company is subject to Trudeauian extortion, presumably. The financial institution that's licensed, absolutely, just like Coinbase and Goldman Sachs and Bank of America. Yep, we do absolutely. what we're told. But the identity nonprofit, we, we can't control. We can't stop it. Okay, well, that's and, very interesting and important for people to understand that distinction. To know that you know any financial service organization you're dealing with can be have the thumb put on by the government. You know, you get a court order, you got to obey it. Period. You know, at, at Network Solutions, I ran the domain name system. That was our one and inviolate rule: we will obey a court order from a court in that has jurisdiction over us, which basically meant the USA and the state of Virginia. We will obey nothing else. And including, I once got a call from the White House and asked us to do something. And I said, no. I said, if you'll put it as a court order, happy to comply. But they did not want this thing on the public record. So it never happened, right? It was very simple. Court order, yes. Anything else, don't care who the fuck you are, no. Yeah. So I am as a financial institution in Europe, we are beholden, and by the way, we're transitioning our license to MECA, so it's pan-European, we're beholden to the European laws. And if somebody shows up and says, uh, financial intelligence unit wants to look at who's passing what value where, we comply. But similarly, any of them show up, including God Alamodi with a capital G on that identity, so sorry, we're beyond GDPR, Everybody can go fuck themselves. Ah, I like that. So entrepreneurs out there, think about ways to do financial services that are KYC compliant, but unstoppable. They might be able to stop at a given, a probably way to do this is to have ephemeral entities, right? That spring up, but you have some spare ones. You know, if you get shut down, oh, well, we just migrated all the accounts and data over to the new one and there it is, right? Something like that. Because these guys will be trying to crush this stuff. They want control. They want choke points. Motherfucker Trudeaus of the world want to Trudeau. I think that should become a verb, to Trudeau, to become, uh, to subvert a, de- a democracy and become a dictator by using choke points in the financial architecture. Sure. Let's not forget choke point 2.0 in the U.S. of OCC and FDIC basically calling CEOs of banks saying, you better not have a crypto client touching ACH rails. If you do, maybe we're going to take a second look at your license. That'll send a chill down a CEO's spine. Or how about the uh, the guy in England, Nigel, the Brexit guy? Yeah. Uh, the banks pulled his accounts because he's the Brexit guy, right? And now, of course, the chairman of the bank has had to resign. The CEO of the bank has had to resign. This is a gigantic scandal because they were stupid enough to document this shit in writing, right? And you know they have clearly under government policy have encouraged the banks to fuck with people. And they do. And so it's very important that we build alternative infrastructures that the Trudeaus can't Trudeau. Yeah, I agree. And so, and, the, and so that basically says Everest can be Trudeaued, but the foundation cannot. And so people should keep that clearly in mind. Yeah. And keep in mind, we can only be Trudeaued by the Europeans. And the Europeans have clear known laws. You know exactly what they are. Like, and they're not shutting down folks that actually obey what's written in the law. 
Yeah. So, and at least today, I would say that that's a safe bet that within reason, but again, they're also Europeans, you know, they have a long history of dictatorships periodically, and I would not count on them for long haul to, let's say somebody was organizing a revolution legally, right? You know, a social change movement that uh, looked to completely overhaul the social operating system of society, to change the monetary system, to change the financial system. I know some people like this, right? (laughs) One could imagine the Europeans saying, oh, well, we have our rule of law, but we got to squash these fuckers, right? In which case, then they would Trudeau. There hasn't been a social revolution here since the French, right? So is it... I'm not saying never. I'm telling you, it's just better than everywhere else on the planet. Well, hell, that's not true. Think about the Nazis. That was a social revolution. There was, think about the communists all over Europe. Think about Orban in Hungary, right? He's not quite yet a full-on tyrant, but he's getting mighty close. Let's let's go into, let's segue for a moment. Let's define what revolution is. It's social, political, economic, and bloodshed. 99% 99% of the time. You got to have got to change all three systems yep. and spill some blood. Yep. The well, Nazis certainly did that. The Nazis had their moment, <laughs> but not in Europe. Yep. All right. Anyway, but so you're yeah. probably a little safer. Well, the United exactly. States is super safe for the moment, uh, and Europe is better than many. Well, let's let's define our terms here and I'll tell you where I w- I was flying to China. When Snowden's papers hit the wire, and it turns out the CIA was actually spying on Americans. Of course. You don't think the European secret police are spying on Europeans? Of course they are. So I land in China, and I walk in, and they go, wow, have you seen the newspaper? And I said, look, guys, the only difference is your government tells you that they're spying on you. The Americans... Slightly... It's slightly more honorable to admit that you're a dictator than to not admit it. Yeah. I'd say there's less of a surveillance state and less of a Trudeau. I mean, the point of Trudeau-ness, the Americans have proven choke point 1.0 and choke point 2.0 that they are willing to go there. The Europeans haven't shown that. Okay. It's interesting. When has the U.S. done that to individuals for reasons of political protest? So they... Choke point 1.0 was literally the Obama administration going after mostly adult industry and saying Visa cut them off, MasterCard cut them off. Choke point 2.0 was literally anybody related with crypto. And there are like some really interesting case studies on that of like, like I said, FDIC, OCC, in coordination from the White House, like target this, make it happen, cut these guys off. If you could send me some links on that, I'd appreciate it. Sure. Because that's, again, not quite – it's not over the line 3.0 Trudeau where you're going to smack individuals due to their political – their political beliefs or even or their political actions up to and including misdemeanor civil disobedience. That's where it becomes totally scary. And that's where the line has been crossed. And that's where good citizens could get their AR-15s out and march to the town square and say, motherfuckers, come get me. You know, because that is totally unacceptable. I agree. So like, we... Yeah, we haven't seen that yet, uh, thank goodness. Not yet, not yet. And and our First Amendment is still pretty strong, and the current court, despite some of the other stupid shit they do, do seem to be very strong on the First Amendment. 
Fair. Which is good. Okay, let's see what other questions I have. Oh, this is a technical question. You can't see them because this is audio only, but my friend Bob here has got quite a fuzzy face, right? And he wears glasses. It turns out biometrics sometimes gets fooled when you go from furry face to clean face and when you go from glasses to contact lenses. How do you deal, and this is a minor issue, I'm just interested in it. Yeah. How do you deal with multiple manifestations of biometrics like that? It literally works. I can be, give you some case study and literally tell you, I, I have not had a beard. Yes, had a beard. Glasses, no glasses. And it always recognizes and has for a bunch of folks in our community. I'll tell you the most fun test I did live with the Central Bank of Samoa. We took in all of the voting database, which literally had 20 years of people with QCIF little photos, sometimes SIF all these other different pictures from the voting registry or database uh, for the past 20 years. The central bank governor was a 40 to 50 year old woman. And it was her photo from when she was like 25 or something. And we did it live and she literally scanned her face and we found her face. And she had changed materially over the past 15 or 20 years. So, yeah, we, we haven't actually had an issue with that. That's pretty amazing. That's because, that, as you know, you go to the DMV for your photo, for your driver's license. You know, they usually make you take off your glasses and not smile and, yeah. you know, all that stuff. And yeah, so, But you guys have a good enough tech on facial recognition to at a 99.9%, 99.99 probably level, it works. Here's a good, uh, good example of global entry for the U.S. government to get into the country. It used to be face and fingerprint and your boarding pass. Nowadays, you just walk in, do one of these, and keep walking. Now, is that facial recognition technology open source, or is that something you guys developed? We use off-the-shelf biometrics. And okay. so what, what we found is most biometrics are almost at the 99 eight or 99.9. And if you use that plus a pin or that plus another biometric, you're at five nines. Yeah. Five nines is enough. Probably five nines is enough, right? Yeah. Five nines means enough means that you will fuck one person in a hundred thousand essentially. Yeah. And what that means is, oh gosh, you'll have to do it again and we'll have to do a broader search. Yeah. You'll have to have a, which implies of course you have to have a, or this foundation, it has to have a non-trivial customer service function when things go awry. Just as network solutions, we had to have a non-trivial customer service function, despite the fact that, you know, what we're doing seems like it's pretty brainless, but there are a bunch of corner cases where you have to deal with problems. Yep. In interesting. All right. We talked about this in the pregame. I'm going to run it by again because I thought it was kind of interesting. I recently, I don't know, six or eight months ago, participated in a crypto crowdfunding called metacrisis.xyz. And there was some thing you had, and it had a match. Somebody put up 25 grand worth of crypto. And if you went through sufficient verification, they would, but only if you went through sufficient verification, they would allocate under some complicated crypto bro formula some part of the of the of that twenty five grand to the causes that you support. They had like fifty causes that were meta crisis related, and it was hilarious. It was you know weighted towards smaller transactions, but larger counters. I mean, typical crypto bros. They got nothing better to do but play with these algorithms, but it was clever, and you could say it was 
principled in its own way, but you had to go through this thing. And the service, whatever it is, I, I was searching my emails this morning to try to find it. I couldn't find it. It essentially required you to log in using OAuth to multiple of your identity surrogates like Facebook, like LinkedIn, like Twitter. Uh, there was, I don't know, like eight or 10 of them. And they got, gave you points for each one that you OAuth into their app. And you got the most points for LinkedIn. And I forget what the rest of the, 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 the table was, but I know LinkedIn was like 15 points. And you had to get 70 points to qualify your crypto account. It had to be a specific crypto account that, that you were a real human being. And I go, yeah, that's, that's fairly clever. Uh, tell me the strengths and weaknesses of that approach. Sure. So let's define our terms. You added credentials to a wallet you didn't prove that you were human, nor unique, nor anything else. And so let's, you know, I'll give you a, a step back on identity writ large and what the strengths and weaknesses of that. Start with the basic, can you prove you're not a catfish? Like, I put it to you, like, if you want to just get onto a dating site, almost no identity verification. Connect a Facebook account like you did. Maybe connect... Another social account where you have 100 followers. Oh, yeah. yeah. Let me add this detail. Yeah, I forgot to add this detail. You got points based on how many followers you had. So LinkedIn, you got 15 points if you had more than 500, which I do. But you only got like one point if you had under 10 or or connections, I guess they call them on LinkedIn. And the same was true on Facebook. If you had less than 100, you got a few points. If you had more than 100, uh, you got more points. If you had more than 300, you got the full points. So again, it was fairly nuanced. Sure. And so look, there's a big trend in the crypto community to do a social graph and call it identity. And the truth is, it's because they have not figured out how to actually do identity. So fundamentally, at its core, you need to prove I am human, live and unique, one of this 8 billion. And Everybody, by the way, even Vitalik knows this and cannot solve this. And we have, which is fundamentally, I'm this one in eight billion human being. After that, I'll add credentials like Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and then I'll be able to share it, little pieces of that to other folks. What you're describing is credential sharing or adding credentials to a wallet. It's still not proving you're one in 8 billion. And the one in 8 billion really matters as soon as you actually do anything financial. Matter of fact, it matters to the point of you go to jail or don't. Yep, yep. exactly. So, so what is it that distinguishes you? You have biometrics for sure, right? Is that, is that the main distinction? Yes. So we do, by the way, it's, you can prove that you're live and human and one of the 8 billion people out there, Right. After that, you can add on all the credentials you want. Okay, so that, but and then you could also do classic KYC credentials, like look yourself Correct. up in the postal database, show me your picture, your driver's license. Yeah, but you st- so the rock sanctions, all that stuff. And then what we did is we actually added a way to share credentials in what I call zero knowledge proofs. So you can say here's a proof that I've KYC, but you don't get to see the data. Right, but here we go. Yeah, that that is actually a nice thing. The zero knowledge proofs is a very wonderful out, set of algorithms for things like this. Agreed. 
that uh, you can you can actually stipulate a fair bit with a completely opaque token, right? Right. And so, I mean, look, let me hammer this point home of like the social graph is cute. And it's better than nothing by a lot, right? Sure. If you're trying to solve the problem of, hey, does this wallet, you know, is it good enough to actually do something? Do we kind of think it's not a catfish or a bot? Well, in this, yeah, like in this case, the, the, the stakes, it's always important when I talk about security. Security versus stakes, right? I was actually, get, I've got a programmer working on a project for me actually uh, last week, and he actually put more security in it than I needed because I said, worst case, we might lose $500 a month, right? Don't give a fuck. It's not worth spending $3,000 to solve their problem. So for, in this case, they were giving away $25,000. There were a bunch of participants. So a, a non-verified person might be getting $50 or $100, right? So what the fuck, right? You didn't need ironclad proof for that. Just enough to make it not worth You'd have to spend more than 50 bucks to do it. Yeah. And like, you know, cause you can buy, you could buy LinkedIn uh, identities for instance. Oh yeah. And surprisingly inexpensively, but getting the names to match is a much bigger problem. But sure. uh, what would say Worldcoin released their solution uh, about a week ago and they're having exactly that problem where it's people, you might've done biometrics to register. And so that wallet now has it's only one human being attached to that wallet, but that wallet's getting sold for $30 on the black market because they're not doing verification on sign-in. Yeah, they're not doing biometrics, right? You say, well, they're doing biometrics on the way in just to register yeah. once. Gotcha. And you know what we did is we, we literally ended up at a selfie. So it was like, sure, we could collect DNA samples to make your, sure you're real. But like, to your point, like that outweighs the, the value of the stakes. And so making it a selfie where you're literally just going, what I do log in anyway, that plus a pin, we're there. So so that's interesting. Now, again, so I can understand the stack. If somebody went and did the deal with Elon to make to use this kind of verification, get a gold star rather than a pile of poo, who would be the API that they called with the picture? Would it be you or would it be the uh, Everest or would it be the foundation? It would be the foundation if it's just the identity solution. Okay. Okay. And is there anybody marketing that from the foundation? No, we literally have been just doing the vertical stack from Everest. Uh-huh. And it's just, a, if you will, open direct to consumer from the foundation right now. I gotcha. So now talking about Elon, just, and by the way, I'll even go back to Facebook and Libra, what they attempted to do. It's actually worth mentioning. Facebook tried to do the financial stack, but didn't have the identity underneath, which is the Achilles heel that broke them, right? They couldn't actually prove who was actually sending value, which is why they got shut down. Now, Elon has two problems. He has an identity problem of like, hey, let's make sure it's not a bot, real human and do it for free. And the second thing he's got to do is he's got to go build this financial stack. Turns out we actually have that already. Of course, it's not that hard to build a financial stack. I mean, if, you, if you're worth $250 billion, it's not that hard to build a financial stack. It's not that hard. It just takes a year or two. It takes a while. It takes a while. And the licenses. And so Elon should buy you is what you're saying. No, I think Elon <laughs> should just license our stuff. Okay. And so should, so should Meta. Interesting. Okay, so it's your stuff. So, but nobody is marketing the foundation directly as an API to service providers. Correct. Probably somebody should. I have to think about that. How to best do that? Maybe I'll set up a foundation that does that. Yeah, 
the, we have, uh, look, the APIs are out in terms of, actually, to be fair, we're doing widgets. We have a, a payment widget. So you can say, I just want to embed fiat to crypto, crypto to fiat, right? There's a widget you can call, just pull it up inside of a wallet. And we have an identity widget where you can do everything from basic, is it a bot or not, all the way up to a KYC. Well, let me, let me run a real use case that I actually have yeah. trying to find the good solution for it. And Coinbase used to be a good solution for this, but it isn't anymore, which is I want to pay a contractor with crypto, but he doesn't know shit about crypto and doesn't want to get entangled with crypto. But he would like me to, I said, well, I'm happy to send you, you know, 5,000 bucks of USDC your problem to figure out how to get it into your bank account. And I go, oh, he goes, oh, I don't want to do that. Yeah. And he looked up Coinbase. These are under the investigation for the SEC and this, that, and the other thing. I don't want to touch those fuckers. I said, okay. So could he set up an account on Everest, attach his Canadian bank account to Everest, and I could send him $5,000 of USDC, and it could then flow to his bank account? Kind of. And kind I'll tell you of. what. And I'll tell you. We are not plugged into the Canadian banking system to push across the Canadian banking rails, which okay. is what he would need. The equivalent of ACH, essentially. Yeah. It's ACH equivalent. What we are adding, because we got tired of dealing with all of these choke points that the Trudeaus continue to cut off randomly whenever they feel like, we can do push to card. So we, if he has a debit card, well, we can push 5000 to his debit card. Oh, okay. I think he does. I don't know. If, I'm sure he does have a debit card. Okay. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. And so that's, now, a feature, that's a feature we're adding like in the next couple of weeks. Okay. The next couple of weeks. Unfortunately, I need, I need to solve this problem the next week. And how about the U.S.? How about this? If the, if the person was in the U.S., how would that change things? It wouldn't. We're, ACH is off for most crypto. We can do it in Europe, in and out of European bank accounts, no problem. But not the Americans. We're, we're doing push to card for them. Okay. But you can do push to card in the States. Could you do push to PayPal? Not yet. That is closer than, yeah, that'll be that this would, year. Yeah, that would be a good, that would be a nice a little intermediary, right? Push to PayPal because yeah, they're kind of a pain in the ass, but they, uh, and then Venmo and, and, you know, what's the what's the cash card thing? There's a number of these virtual inter- intermediaries that are, that could be interesting ways to not have to touch the ACH third rail. Yeah. Now it's interesting. This thing about ACH is interesting because in theory, anyone should be able to use ACH, right? Um, in theory, I mean, go talk to all the folks in Wyoming who tried to get a digital banking license in the state and then have the OCC go, thanks for playing. You don't get a Master Fed account. Go home. We don't care. We don't care. And they just. So this is level two choke point, essentially. Yeah. And so again, they're. They're true doing, but not for politics, but for other reasons, which is right. al- also anno- annoying and not good. I'll go back to the Europeans and what they did with Mika and where Everest is positioned. So we're a crypto custodian in Europe right now, right? And means we can custody Bitcoin, Ethereum, etc. We also do stable coins, right? Our own. What happens with Mika is we can now add to our license and we can custody euros. So that's it, if you will. And we'll be connected to SEPA, 
So that is everything Custodia tried to do in Wyoming and all those digital banks. We literally will be that in Europe as soon as Mika actually comes into force. What is SEPA? SEPA is the ACH equivalent in okay. Europe. Yeah. Uh, why, don't you t- why don't you tell your uh, – get I know all this shit, but why don't you, for our listeners' purpose, tell them what ACH does and what SEPA does. Sure. It connects all of the banks for basically overnight settlement. In the case of ACH, it's usually two to three days. Uh, so that if you send money from Bank of America to Wells Fargo, they're literally transiting that money effectively over automatic, automated clearinghouse ACH. And I mean, even end users can use it, right? I can send 50 bucks to the, my bank with ACH, can I? Yeah. yeah, I believe you can. There's the equivalent in Europe, SEPA. UK has FAST, I think is what they call it, and it's real time. Yeah, and it's very, very inexpensive. So inexpensive, the banks don't even charge you for it. You know, unlike the goddamn credit cards or PayPals that skim a couple of percent, it's like a hundredth of a percent or something crazy, crazy small. Yeah, so there, there's you know what they call open banking, especially in Europe. People got tired of paying a couple points on Visa, you know, and Mastercard, and they literally just go bank to bank all the time because it's frictionless and all the banks are connected. Yeah, yeah, that's a cool thing. All right, well, we've talked about kind of where things are so far. Very exciting. Where are you going? What's your what's your vision for the next couple of two three years? Beyond that, none of us can forecast anything. At least I can't. Sure. Poor dumb guy like myself. But well, you know, what do you see out the next two or three years? So I take it on sort of a dual path. One's identity. One's financial. On identity, we will continue to add more Web 2.0 ability to pull people in. That is, we've already said you can prove you're not a bot and be anonymous on Twitter. Next up will be Meta, right, with Facebook and Threads, etc. And we'll keep adding that in so that if you will, at the end of the day, the user owns the identity and their account and their ability to share their attributes. And it's not owned by the Twitters, Facebook, LinkedIn, et cetera, the world. So that's a paradigm shift. And it's literally just here it is for the user. Now, that has to come along with some monetization strategies. So that's our what I call Everest bank of the future. We custody crypto. We custody fiat. We're tokenizing stocks and commodities, which... Is, by the way, that's incredibly hard to do. I was going to say, good luck with that. I mean, really big, big boys have tried to do that. By the way, let me get, I'll actually walk you through it. I'm sitting here in Malta today, having spoken with regulators and lawyers, et cetera, to actually figure out, and we're doing this. You'll see this from us. What did it take? You had to do, you have to be a crypto custodian. You have to have a broker dealer MFID equivalent license in Europe. Which right? you don't have. Which our partner does have, and we do write on that license. Okay, cool. You have to have a permissioned chain, right? Which basically means you can mint a token that represents Apple stock. You then have to have the logic of compliance around it. Because if I want to send my, we're literally going to mint a token of Apple and go put it in somebody's wallet. Yeah, but this is all. This has been people have been talking about this since 2017. It's obvious thing to do, right? But here's the whole thing. Now, if I want to actually send it to you, well, 
sending a security, which is effectively what this is, you need to actually have the compliance rules around it, where I can tell you what happens is it comes back to us, the custodian. We check and make sure you're not a terrorist. And then it might feel on a UI level. I sent it directly to you. We scrubbed everything along the way. Okay, so all of that stack and the logic, I'll give you a sense, who tokenizing a security, Franklin Templeton tried this three or four years ago. And now at the very basic level, they're tokenizing mutual funds, but they're not swapping crypto for it. They're not letting it go peer to peer. They're not letting it be used as collateral to go get a DeFi loan. Right. Right. There's all, it's really complicated. And we did it. So like, I've actually, I've seen it. I'm actually going through the process of actually getting it ready to roll out. So that is cool. That, I mean, whoa, that's very impressive. Yeah. So if you now connect those dots of here's the identity and people are in, let's call it India, Brazil, not the US, we're not touching the Americans yet, right? Places that are hard to reach and they go, here's my identity and I want to actually buy a share of Apple. We can actually deliver a token to them in their wallet, wherever they are in the world, and they can send it to their friends. Oh, I just love this. I mean, because when I first heard the idea in 2017, I loved this, but nobody has ever done it. Nobody's done. But here's the interesting part of like where we're all headed. All the permissionless chains want this, and they cannot do it without going to jail. Mm -hmm. and, 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 so, and, and certainly not in the United States and probably other places as well. Anywhere where there's securities laws, which is 196 countries, I believe. Now, what's so. a good country that doesn't have securities laws? I can tell you, here's a good good indication. St. Kitts and Nevis, which is oh. about as even they will not accept bearer bonds. Too bad. Okay, well, that's good. That's good. So St. Kitts and Nevis, which is a kind of enjoyable place to hang out. So, <laughs> Alexander Hamilton came from there. I think there's mild irony there. But I say, there's a place that even they will not accept bearer bonds, which is what a tokenized security would be if you don't track where it goes. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So a, a true trustless network with no tracking will would violate the anti-bearer bond rules. Yeah, which is everywhere. Yeah. Okay, good. That's very, very interesting. Very, very interesting. So what else? Anything else that you want to talk about? Look, I, it's worth probably mentioning where I think we all end up. Okay, that's, yeah. It's, as I put it. Hopefully not jail. Yeah. <laughs> all identity is getting digitized. Let's just start with that. That happens. You know, as sure as the sun sets in the West and right, the only question is who's going to control it. And it darn well better be the user. Because I think we are. But it better be, but we know the big boys don't want it to be the user. We know they don't. And by the way, if it's not the authoritarian government, it'll be the Web 2.0 guys. And exactly. We last, thing, last thing Facebook wants is a third party cost plus identity provider. Right. Unless they're making enough money. Make it worth their while. Yeah. Uh, now here, yeah. So here's here's just thinking out loud here, which I do all the time, and it's worth every penny you're paying for, which is absolutely nothing. Which uh -huh. is maybe the way you seduce 
meta is to you know give them the fast track to the rest of the stack. Oh yeah, um, Duh, I can tell you. Right. I don't think Meta, Twitter, LinkedIn, any of them actually want to stand in front of Congress and explain why they are housing biometric data in their databases. Yep, exactly. They, they don't, don't want. Do they don't have to do it if they did the deal with you. Right. They want the financial stack. Right? Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean when I say their whole stack. They want the financial stack. So you go to them and say, oh, you get the identity over here in a way that you are blameless because you don't have any custody over it. And it's magic. Even God couldn't get it out. But And you also get the financial stack to make money off of it. Yeah, exactly. For me, uh, the foundation is should be something akin to like Wikipedia in a way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like it's a third-party trusted entity that can verify users, but it's kind of for the commons and it's owned and run you know, as, as a nonprofit. Cool. Cool. All right. Anything else before we wrap her up? That's all I have other than thank you. So I always enjoyed chatting with you. Yeah. It's been a damn interesting conversation. I mean, it's an, you know, an area I've sort of followed out of the left corner of my eye, but this was a good update on what's actually going on in the trenches with real bullets. It's, it is trenches with bullets. It is. Oh, yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> it's like people talk about getting an MBA. I say, ah, don't be a pussy. Go join a startup. Get your MBA with real bullets, right? <laughs> yeah. And they'll yeah. pay you. They'll pay you. You won't be paying, you know, some people who don't are fairly clueless idiots $80,000 a year. They'll pay you $80,000 a year and you'll learn a shitload more. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you. That's Bob Reed of Everest. And you can find more about all this stuff at the episode page at jimrutcho.com or check out his company at everest.org. Audio production and editing by Andrew Blevins Productions. Music by Tom Muller at modernspacemusic.com. <laughs>